Jesus says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust can corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. How do we lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven? How does that work? Because I always heard that you can't take it with you, right? That's what I always heard. But Jesus is saying right here, that's not completely true. There are treasures that you can actually send on up ahead of you. And it's interesting that Jesus would use the phrase, lay up for ourselves treasures, as though it's literally something that's piling up, something that we would consider a treasure. And it's not for anybody else. This isn't some kind of metaphor where technically it just means God will be pleased and you'll get good marks on a report card that hangs on God's bulletin board at the head of the class. No, that's not what he said. He's talking about literally laying up treasures. And these treasures aren't for anybody else. They're not even for God. They're for you. It says laying up for ourselves treasures. How does that work? How do we lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven? Well, let's look at it another way. How do we lay up for ourselves treasures upon the earth? How does that work? First of all, it takes time. Whether we're talking about a DVD library, the perfect house, the perfect backyard, video game collection, MP3 collection, closet full of clothes, whatever it is, it takes time. You buy each little piece of treasure, one piece at a time. You buy a couple of CDs after a paycheck, no big deal. But after a decade or so, you've got yourself a pretty nice CD collection. And I think all of us have that internal drive to build an earth-based sanctuary of everything we want. It takes decades to build, but we do it just one little piece of treasure at a time, enjoying each piece as we get it and adding it to the treasure chest of our sanctuary. That's how we lay up for ourselves treasures upon the earth. But Jesus points out something here that we don't really think about too much until we start to get older, and that's the fact that all of that is temporary. He says, moth and rust corrupt it. In other words, it wears out with time. You know, I spent the entire 80s and the early part of the 1990s, well, actually both the 80s and the 90s, two whole decades, I bought professionally published tapes by singers and groups. I bought blank tapes to record off the radio, and I was so proud because I had around seven or eight tapes of radio music for each year. I had the 80s recorded as it happened. I was proud of that, but it's all crap now. Those old tapes have faded, the sound is muffled, it's a huge loss. Now I'm trying to replace all of it with store-bought CDs and MP3 downloads, but I'll probably discover one day that that too won't be permanent. And you can apply this to everything. And let's just say for the sake of argument, you do find treasures that don't fade or corrupt in time. They might not, but you will. And it'd just be my luck that after I replace all of my 80s music with store-bought CDs and MP3 files, just about that time, I will probably start to lose my hearing. That's a huge investment of time and money into something that's so temporary. So Jesus is saying, hey, do the same thing you've been doing for treasures on the earth, but do it for treasures in heaven. Lay them up in heaven instead of the earth, because on the earth, moth and rust corrupt it, and thieves can break through and steal. But that's not the way things are up in heaven. So lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Well, how do you do that? There are several ways, lots of ways to do that. We've always heard the saying that you can't take it with you. Materialism, money, objects, things, stuff, when you leave this world and enter the next one, you can't take it with you. But did you know, if you think about it, there are some things you can acquire here on the earth that you can take with you. 
Do you know what they are? Think about it. This is sort of a trick question, but think about this. Try to stretch your imagination. We've talked before about how this world and your body is nothing more than old hardware. The real you is software. When you leave this world, it's only your software that's leaving. It's being uploaded into new hardware that's in heaven. The scientists tell us that everything we've ever seen, heard, or experienced from the moment we were born to the present day is perfectly recorded onto the hard drive of your brain. We have a problem with instant recall. Sometimes we have to try real hard to remember something, but that's just a hardware problem. We're going to get new hardware. The brain we have now isn't built to utilize instant recall, but everything we've ever seen, heard, or experienced from the moment we were born to the present day is perfectly recorded out of the hard drive of our brain. That's software. It's a part of who we are. It's all in there. And all of that, minus the sin virus, will be uploaded into heaven with you. If your memories and your acquired knowledge and wisdom is going to heaven with you, then that includes the memories, the knowledge, and the wisdom of interpersonal relationships with people. When you build a relationship with another Christian, you're investing in something that's eternal. You may part ways while you're down here on the earth. You may have to move to another town and never see them again, or they may die before you. But you did know them, and they knew you. And whatever you built with that other Christian is something that will last forever. Your relationship with your toys, whatever they are, they won't last forever. When we get to heaven, we're going to get new toys that surpass earthly toys, so we won't even miss those earthly toys. If we could take them with us, we would probably throw them away once we got there. But invested time and effort put into any relationship with another Christian is something that will last forever. Think of all the Christians you've known since you were a kid that have died, that are now living in heaven. People in heaven who right now as we speak, they remember you. They knew you when they were here and will know you again. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And as I've gotten older, the more I've begun to realize that after all of the years of collecting movies and CDs and games, what my real treasure is, my real treasure, has become treasure in which not only can I take it with me, but it's already there. My grandmother's been there for five years now, and my grandfather's been there for ten. And I'm so glad that I invested the time that I did with them while they were still here. Because that investment is something that cannot be stolen or lost or corrupted by the degradation of time. But think about all of the Christians your own age who are still here. Those relationships will last forever. So any investment you make towards another Christian, be it time, be it a helping hand, all of those little investments, they add up to something that's eternal. Now each little piece by itself, you probably don't think it's worth much. But that's the same thing as after a paycheck, you buy one CD. It's no big deal. It's one CD. But it's piling it all together. And when you make those investments towards heaven, those are investments that are piling up that will be eternal. But there's another relationship you can invest in that's eternal, and that's your relationship with Jesus Christ. When we first get to see him with our own eyes, we're going to be surrounded by the fulfillment of dreams that never came true on the planet Earth. Our physical bodies are going to be brand new and perfect without flaws. All of our loved ones are going to be around us, and they too will also be in brand new and perfect bodies without flaws. And surrounding us will be a new plane of existence that's everything the Earth was plus everything the Earth could have been if Satan hadn't gotten in the way and screwed things up. And with this will be the internal awareness of knowing that all of this is so good that we really don't belong here. How is this made possible? 
and then we'll see Jesus Christ with holes in his hands and scars on his face, which remain as a physical reminder to us of how much we're loved. And we're going to wish we had gotten to know this awesome God before we got to heaven, not out of shame or fear, but if we had only known what we were missing out on. Can you really invest in that relationship by listening to a sermon once a week? I don't think so. One of Jesus' titles is the Word, right? That's what John called him in the first chapter of his account of the gospel. That's also one of the titles for the scriptures. Until we see him face to face in heaven, that book is the closest we can get to know him. The more you know about that book, the more you know about him. Therefore, the more time you spend in that book, the more time you're spending with Jesus getting to know him. The more money you spend towards knowing that book, then the more money you're spending towards knowing him. In other words, don't be satisfied with the one copy that you have that your mother gave you that her mother gave her. Keep that, but go out and buy a new one. Buy two or three. Get some in different translations so you can really know it. Be obsessed with knowing that book. If you find a reliable translation, and I do mean a reliable, trustworthy translation that you really like, buy a few copies of it. Get one in paperback for your car. Get another one for your bed. Buy a notebook to scratch notes in. Or maybe keep an MP3 journal on your PC. Make an adventure out of it. Don't be satisfied with somebody else's teachings from it. Those are great. But what do you think God would tell you personally without the presence of a middleman? Ever wonder? Find out. When we finally get to meet Jesus face to face, and that day's coming, folks, don't you want to feel like you know him already? Or do you want to just know of him because of what other people have told you about him? Go out there and blow some money on some Bibles. Buy several copies in different translations so you can really know him. Or maybe you just want several to lay around the house so you'll always be near one so you can just grab it when the Holy Spirit puts something on your heart. Or maybe you just want to feel free to highlight the scratch notes in one and buy another one just in case you get carried away. You know, whatever the reason. Is that book a priority? It's an investment that's available to you that's eternal. Chuck Messler likes to make the joke, if you knew that some political commentator that you admire was coming to your Barnes & Noble bookstore and you were going to have the opportunity to maybe spend some personal time with them, you would probably go out and buy a copy of their latest book to read it and catch up. Well, folks, all of us really are about to meet Daniel, Isaiah, Moses, Peter, Matthew, Paul, and you want to be able to go right up to them and say, hey, I read your book. Heaven is a real future. And we can invest in that future while we are still here on the earth. The primary way is to know the king. And he laid everything out for you in a text that we so passively call the Bible. And do the things that are in there. Not because you're scared of God or afraid you're going to miss out on heaven. That's not even a concern for us. Heaven is a real future for all of us. And you can't take that future away. But you can invest in that future. And any investment towards other Christians has eternal benefits. But then there are also rewards. And this is what Jesus is getting into here when he says, lay up treasures in heaven. Jesus didn't tell us too much about what all of those rewards are, probably because we don't have a common frame of reference to understand what they are. Jesus trying to describe for us what those heavenly rewards are would be like you or me trying to explain earthly rewards to an amoeba. Just no common frame of reference. But you can lay up treasures in heaven. They all come from the Father. We know that. But apparently they are earned. And all throughout the Bible we get little glimpses here and there of certain actions that result in the giving of a reward. I just recently found out not too long ago that there is a specific reward given to those who look forward to the rapture. That blew me away. I thought, well, there's at least one reward I know I'm going to get. 
Another reward is specifically reserved for those who are killed because of their faith in Christ. I don't know if I want to earn that gift. But what you don't often hear about the Columbine Massacre is that a lot of the children who were shot were first asked, Are you a Christian? One girl in particular stared her killer down in the face and said with pride and without fear, Yes, I am. And those were the last words she ever spoke on this earth. I'm looking forward to meeting her. She wasn't a Christian because it was politically correct in a churchy environment where she could impress her peers with her piety. She gave up her life because she was more proud of the one who saved her than she was proud of her own life. She was in love with him more than she was in love with her own life. But do you notice a consistent theme behind all of these little deeds and actions that result in a reward? How did Jesus start off chapter 6 before leading up to all of this? Don't do these things to be seen by men, but to be seen by God in secret, so that the Father which sees in secret shall reward you openly. All of these deeds and actions are motivated by a love relationship with the Lord. I don't look forward to the rapture because it's the right thing to do. I can't help it. Because I know who's coming to get me. All of the deeds that result in rewards are deeds that are motivated by your personal relationship with the Lord. And that relationship is built, strengthened, maintained, and increased by a steady commitment to knowing His Word and following His Word. And then everything you do is just for Him. There's no religion involved here, folks. This is all about keeping things real between you and the Father which I find extremely fascinating because that seems to rub against the grain of everything we thought we've been taught concerning Christianity. And all throughout the Gospel account, Jesus personally goes out of his way to avoid religious ritualism and ceremonialism, while at the same time proclaiming himself to be the one who's personally fulfilling every last bit of the law. I mean, that's folks, this is incredible. Every jot and tittle, he says. He's personally taking full responsibility for fulfilling the letter of the law, while at the same time going out of his way to detour ritualism and ceremonialism. He told the woman at the well, A time is coming when you will neither merely worship the Father in Jerusalem, nor merely worship the Father in this mountain. God is a spirit being, and he desires to be worshipped in spirit. That was the biggest debate back then, folks. Can you really worship the Father without going to Jerusalem? Today, the debate would be, can you really worship the Lord without going to a building with a steeple on it? Jesus would say, you can, but location doesn't matter. God is a spirit being. He desires to be worshipped in spirit. In other words, all of these religious trappings take away the reality of it. It gets in the way. It doesn't have to, but it can. You can do the right thing for the wrong reasons. If you're doing it to impress man or hold to some religious obligation that man has bound you to, then it's not real. But when it is real, that's when you're making investments towards your future in heaven. And that's every bit of this in a nutshell, folks. If you want to invest in your future in heaven, then you need to invest now in your relationship with the Lord and His Word. By doing that, then everything else falls in place. 